Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The, the reality of, of the greatness of God's love for us, what he sets before us, his standard for us in, in terms of the law that he has given us, the, the covenant that we can be in, and, and just the, the depth, the, the sheer depth of love that he has for us is so completely profound that I, I don't know if we can, I don't know if we can fully understand it. I mean, I think sometimes it's, it's strange to us or foreign to us because it is so unique, so uniquely from God. You go into the, into the world as we, as we see the world, kind of this, this world of, of sin that, that is around us, and there is nothing like it. There is nothing like the love that comes from God. The love that we can experience that we know is given to us from our Heavenly Father. Does that not help us to understand how amazing it is then that we are so truly, deeply loved by the God who created us? In the sheer face of our own sinfulness. Just think on that. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to think about how much God loves us because that's who God is. God is, this by definition of nature, is love. And so sure, He loves, but He loves everyone. So, of course, He loves us. But yes, He loves everyone. Even though we were enemies, even though we were sinful, God loves us deeply. Think on how fantastic that is. That any point in your life, the highest point, the lowest point, God's love is there for you. And there is, no, there is nothing in all of creation that can steal that love from you. If you don't believe that, you turn into Romans and you read Romans thoroughly. And you'll get to chapter 8 eventually. And you will be convinced that his love for you is so profound. It is an amazing thing. If you need more than that, we, I don't know if we should, but if you need more than that, think on how your salvation was purchased. Oftentimes I think we, we look at the free gift of salvation, of grace, and we, we phrase it that way, that this free gift of grace was not free. It's freely given to us who are in such dire need of it. But it came at a huge cost. God sent His Son to die for us so that we could have life. And when you think of, of God in this total uh, being of God, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God sent a part of who He is. He sent His Son he sacrificed of who he is of himself so that we who are his creation could have life and be at peace with him. Is that not this great outpouring of love? When we begin to define what love looks like, is that not it? What a fantastic thing it is to know our Creator. 
I, I sometimes don't personally don't know if I fully understand how he can love us so much, how he can love me so much. We, uh, we do a lot of things. We make a lot of choices. You know, you read in James about controlling the tongue and the difficulty of controlling the tongue. And I can, I can guarantee you that I've struggled over the course of my many years to control my tongue. And sometimes I'll, a word will come out or words will come out and, and then I think back on it later and go, what? What was that? Where did that come from? Like, that doesn't even make any sense to me now. Because you know what happened in the meantime? I took some time to think about it. And all of a sudden it just... It, and we have to go to God and we have to, we have to repent of not only that, but all of those things. And His love is still, is still there for us, is ever-present. And He's given us this life, this opportunity to come to Him and to be at peace with Him. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to be close to Him. He wants us to have within the, the very core nature of our hearts this desire to be pleasing to Him and to follow His will. It tells us, you know, that we know the passage of the, the, the fruits of the Spirit. It says that when we walk in step with the Spirit, we'll have these things. We should have this desire to walk in step with the Spirit. And again, we know this, this God as Father, Son, and Spirit, that we walk in step with God because these are the characteristics of, of who God is. And we should desire that. Are we always going to be perfect in that? Are we always going to succeed in all of those things? I can tell you right now, you're not. We haven't. But that does not change our need to repent and be close to God. It doesn't change our desire to walk in step with Him. We should be crushed when we move away from that. We should be heartbroken that we've let God down and we should repent and come back and walk in step with the Spirit. Because we desire to be close to God, to know truly what it is to be saved, to be redeemed through His Son. How much do you hold the peace you have with God in high esteem? How much does it mean to you to know that you can be or are at peace with your Creator? Does it mean much? Does it mean very little? You know, I think as Larry was talking about the dynamics of a relationship, of being present, of putting in the effort, of having this, this love, it shows how much we care, right? By if we're willing to do those things, if we're willing to be obedient to all of what Scripture calls us to be, and to repent of the times that we're not, because we understand the heartbreak of it. To be redeemed. We should all be filled with a fantastic level of joy when we say words like this. We get to live life as His children. We get to live life as ingrafted branches, joint heirs with Jesus. We get to live life as His children. If you don't have a smile on your face right now, I'm not saying another word until you do. 
Okay, everyone smiled at that, so good. I can, I don't know what I was going to do if some of you didn't smile. What an amazing thing it is to be his child, to know life, true life, not just not just the life we go through. We go through life and it's hard and it's difficult and there's all this other stuff that happens because our world is full of sin. But we have life in him. I mean, true life. This newness. We are reborn so that we can spend an eternity with our God, with our creator. And if that doesn't just bring out this complete level of joy in us, then we're missing some of the part or the point of what it is to have life in him it is fantastic it's fantastic does that mean there's not going to be hardship does that mean there isn't going to be low points there's going to be uh, times of disappointment times of heartbreak sure there will be life life inevitably has those moments but that does not steal the joy of being at peace with god remember that it doesn't steal the joy of being at peace with god it actually allows us to work through those things with faith, with contentment, and with hope because God is everlasting and does not change. He is a foundation, even when life seems to be altered. We get to be his children. And as such, we get to be a part of the body of believers, the church. This fellowship that is joined together by more than just the fact that we meet here, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice and our connection to him and the, our desire to be pleasing to him. We are led by him. It tells us that, that when we preach, we do not preach ourselves. We preach Christ and him crucified, and we preach then ourselves as his servant. Because that should be our goal, right? That should be our goal as his children. It should be our goal as, as the church, as the body of believers. Is to share the gospel and to do his will. And those are, those are hand in hand. You cannot separate the two. To share the gospel, to teach of what Christ has done, and to follow the will of God. And if we think that we can separate the two of them, we are mistaken. We have to, we have to learn and... And understand what it is to, to be servants, to be humble before Him. In Romans chapter twelve, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn there, but in Romans chapter tells it tells us that we can know His will. And how is it described? The NIV describes it as His good, His pleasing, His perfect will. We can know that, and we can follow that, and we have to desire that. Is there some difficulty in that sometimes? You know, it sounds like it should always be easy because it's the will of God, right? It's the will of our Creator, our Heavenly Father. And so it should just, it should just come to us naturally, automatically, that I'm just going to follow the will of God. What happens in the garden? Jesus is in the garden right before he is taken or he's arrested and then ultimately crucified. What is he pleading with God to have happen? Is there, a, is there a difficulty in what lays ahead for him? I mean, we can't read through those, those, those verses without understanding that there is a difficulty in, in what lays ahead. 
He understands the difficulty even of doing the will of God. And so he asks if there's any other way but this, except for what? I, I, I would like it to be another way, but whatever your will is, God, I will do. Not my will, but yours be done. So we understand that there is going to be times of difficulty in doing the will of God. Should we long to do it? Even if it's difficult. Yeah, we should. I want to look at a story this morning. And it's going to start with uh, the idea of brotherly love. But I want to look at a story where uh, an individual, and you can probably tell even by the the title this morning, Dreams of Greatness, uh, who I'm going to talk about, but that's all right. Of someone who had tremendous obstacles over and over and over again and continued to do what is right. And you would think, continue to do what is right, things will get better. Right? Do what is right. If you do good things, good things will happen to you. That's kind of how we think. That's not always how it happens. Okay? So if you want to follow along, and I would encourage you to do so, turn into Genesis chapter 37. For the story of... Anyone? 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 Genesis 37 was a good enough hint already. Uh, the story of Joseph. Starting in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his bro- with his brothers, the sons of Behad and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. That's not always good between brothers, but anyway. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he had been born to him in his old age, he made him an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Well, your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. I think I might have kept this second one to myself after the reaction of the first one. But he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I think we start off this story with the acknowledgement that there, as it clearly says, is Joseph is the favorite. Right? Joseph is the favorite son. I don't know if you've ever uh, encountered this within your family. Some of you who are only children, you can gladly and proudly say that you are definitely the favorite. Uh, my brother says the same thing, except for he wasn't an only child. And he's not wrong. He was the, he was the favorite. Still is the favorite. And, and, and so we always kind of gave him a hard time about that. I, I can't imagine in this kind of dynamic where you have all of these sons... And along comes one, and he is clearly the favorite. And seems to, it seems like he doesn't understand 
what that means and the hardship that places on his brothers. But right? he seems fairly open with it. Right? He goes and gives a bad report. He wears this ornate robe. He goes and tells them the dreams that clearly show that they're going to da- bow down before him. What happens when uh, favorites are played? Now, with me and my brother, we kind of laughed it off, even always. And we would, I don't want to say get even with him, but we, we, we uh, roughhoused a little, and I was a little bit bigger. So we evened things up a little bit. What happens when favorites are played? Now, we can, we can take this analogy, we can take this line of thinking, and we can clearly come into an understanding of even how the church is supposed to work in the dynamics of the church. Scripture tells us that if someone comes in and they're wearing all this fancy clothes, and we say to them, here, here is this place of honor, and someone else comes in and they're, they're obviously uh, in need and, and don't have the same ornate clothing, and we say, here, you sit at the back. What are we doing? Well, we're doing the same, are we not? If we begin to play favorites, what happens? What begins to break down? What begins to break down is the relationships that we have with one another. The ability to stand on solid ground next to each other and know that we're building on the same foundation. If we say to you, you are higher than this person because of this worldly thing, then we are wrong. We are not to play favorites. With our own families, it causes strife. Certainly within the church family, it causes strife. There is an equality here because we are all what? We are all sinners and enemies who have come before God to be saved. And we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we will need encouragement from one another. We will need to be uplifted by one another. We will need to be spurred on by one another. We will be held accountable by one another. We will be taught by one another. And we need to take that seriously and understand what that means in the dynamic of the church. As we see here, it led to hatred and jealousy within the family. And these are brothers, right? Hatred and jealousy. Just think about the strongness of that word, hatred. That they literally hated him. And then, then he comes to them with his dreams. So he was already the favorite. They already didn't like him. And then he comes to them with these dreams of, of greatness and says... I am going to be lifted up, and you are going to bow down before me. The first one didn't go over very well. They hated him, it says, right? They hated him all the more. The second one, he comes and says, not only you, but the sun and the moon, like everyone, the whole family is going to bow down before me. And they, they hated him find it interesting here. Where do these dreams come from? Where do these dreams come from? Who, who, would, who would give him the knowledge of what his life's going to turn out to be? Well, God. God is, is sharing this information with him. Does God have a, a purpose and a plan for him? And so he, he sees the dream, right? And he, and he thinks this is fantastic. This is going to work out well for me. This is good, right? This is what, what God has given me. And so he shares that with his brother. He shares that with his family. Does it go well? It's an interesting question, isn't it? 
Because our almost automatic response is, no, it doesn't go well. But does God have a plan for him? Does God have a purpose? So it leads to what? He goes out to visit his brothers again. They seize him. They throw him into a cistern that has no water in it. And they begin to contemplate the idea of killing him. God has a plan for them. And yet they're, they're thinking of taking their own brother's wife because they hate him so much. That's what happens after he's told them these dreams. Instead, what do they do? You remember the story? They slave him. Um, they sell him into slavery. And they take his coat and they, and they smear it with blood and take it back to his father so that his father thinks that he's dead. And they've gotten rid of him. Be gone with him. We're clear of him. They've sold him into slavery. So right away, you begin to look at God's plan and say, okay, this is, this is God's plan. <laughs> this is what God wants for him. He has these dreams of greatness, and almost immediately, he's sold into slavery. Wait a minute. That, that's not good. That's not what we would want. How does Joseph react to this? You know, we, we kind of pick up the story after he gets back in and is put into Potiphar's house. Then how does he react? One of the, one of the key things that it tells us is that he serves right, greatly, right? That, that he continues to do the work. So let's, uh, let's go into Genesis uh, 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in his field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph had the, uh, the benefit, it said, that the Lord was with him. Is this where Joseph wants to be? Do you think he wants to be in Egypt as a slave? Well, no. It's not where he wants to be. But what does he do? Does he rebel? Does he fight? Does he try to leave? Does, he, he puts in the work, right? He, he begins to say, okay, if this is where I am, then I will do what is right. I will continue to work for the Lord. Now, as he begins to do that, as he continues to do that, the Lord blesses him. The Lord, it says, is with him. And out of that work, out of that service, even Potiphar is blessed through Joseph. Because Joseph continues to do what is right. If you continue in the story... It says this, Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater than this, in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. 
Now then, could I do, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though he spoke to Joseph, she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called her household servants, Look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Here he is again doing everything that he can to do what is right. And God has blessed him, right? And things are going well. And there's this level of temptation day in and day out, day in and day out. And it says that he continues to do what God has wanted him to do. In fact, if you go back into verse 9 and look at the quote there, he says what? No one is greater in this house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? Against God. His desire is not just to be right for Potiphar to keep his, you know, to keep his position as this, this raised attendant or this, this high-level attendant, but because it would be against God. He understands his need to be pleasing to God and to serve God, the power of godly service. And what happens? You know, just when we think, okay, things are turning out well for him. Even though he's sold into slavery, even though he's a slave in an Egyptian household, he's, God's with him, so he's been, he's been elevated to this high position. And what happens? What happens is uh, he is shown, as it says, uh, kindness from God. Go down into, into verse 21, the end of verse 20. Verse 21, it says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. In the eyes of the prison warden. Uh, so he's gone from being a favored son, to being a slave, to being in charge of a household, to being thrown into prison as a foreign slave. That is not a great position to be in. Even today, you don't want to be in prison in a foreign country. You don't want to be in prison here either, but you don't want to be in prison in, in some foreign countries. And that's what he was. And yet it says that this is all a part of God's plan, and so he shows him kindness. Do, <laughs> do we view this as kindness? I, I mean, this is, this is God giving him kindness and favor because, because the, in the eyes of the prison guard, he shows him favor. Do, do we truly understand sometimes the plan that God has for us and what we have to do to accomplish it? Now, we've, we've talked about this a lot over the years. How many of you ever prayed for strength? I don't even need to show the hands. I, I know most of you have probably played, prayed for strength or prayed for patience or, or kindness or love or the ability to get through things. What happens? You know, sometimes I think God just has the ability to create that in us. Obviously, we, we find a reserve of that in our, in our being. And often he says, okay, if you want this, if you truly want this, here is an opportunity to learn it. And sometimes our response is counterproductive because we say, oh, God, how could you have done this to my life? Everything was going great. 
And now every day my patience is tried. And he must wonder, well, like, you just prayed for patience. Did you think that was going to grow magically? Like if you put a pot out and you didn't put any seed in it, but you say, I really want corn. And the next day there would be a huge piece of corn poking. I don't know how corn grows. Actually, I do know how corn grows. It wouldn't just be a piece of corn. That really didn't make any sense, but you know what I'm saying. Right? But you put the seed in and it grows. It's, it has to happen. The seed dies and begins to grow. So that's what we ask for. And he's giving Joseph this opportunity again and again throughout this plan to choose his will, to choose to be obedient. Even though the Lord is with him and he prospered and is blessed, he has to continue to do what is right again and again and again. He sits in prison for years. Think about that. He sits in prison for years in a foreign country as a slave, hoping for the day to be released. And this is, this is kindness. Now we get to know the end of the story so we know it turns out, right? We, we know how it's going to ha- go. Joseph doesn't know how it's going to go. From the moment he's thrown in that cistern by his brothers, his life is turned upside down. How would you react to that? Just be honest with yourself for a second. How would you react to that? You go out to visit your family, you go to visit your brothers, you go to visit even your co-workers. They grab you and throw you in a pit and you can hear them contemplating, should we kill him? No, let's just sell him into slavery and convince everybody he knows that he's dead. And by all accounts, Joseph just gets to work doing what he's supposed to do from that moment on. I think I would put up a little more of a stink. I, I think I'd have an adverse reaction there somehow. It's amazing. And yet this is God's plan. What eventually happens? We talked at the very, very beginning that he had these dreams. Well, dreams do come true, right? Now you skip over a, a few chapters, and in, in Genesis chapter 45... After the, the dreams have come true, his brothers come, right? And what do they do before him? The dreams said that they would do what? They would bow down. They would kneel before him. And what do they do? They do exactly that. The dreams that God had given him have come true. Now, just think about all the trials that he had to go through for that to happen. And then we get to this moment. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Just think of the emotion. You know, in the last couple chapters, as, as they're kind of coming and asking and going back and forth, and he's finding out about his father, and he's finding out that he has another brother, and he's finding out everything, and he kind of devises the plan, and everything comes to it, and eventually it says that he could no longer control himself. Before all of his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So was, there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. 
And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Do you appreciate what it must have been like for him to respond in this manner? That this was God's plan for me. He didn't know that beforehand. Nowhere does it indicate to us that God said to him, you're going to have to go through all of this, but eventually this will happen. He gives him the dreams and he says, okay, this is going to happen, and everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. And then this happens. And he sees and he responds with this love and this kindness. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry. Come close to me, he says. For this is what God had in plan for me. This is, this is why it all happened. This is why you sold me into slavery. So that I could come ahead of you and save your lives. This is God's plan. God's plan for Joseph. What plan does God have for you? Do we always recognize it or see it? Now, Scripture tells us we can know His will, His good and pleasing and perfect will, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know that we should want to. It doesn't really... My point there, I guess, is it doesn't really matter. The call is this is that we continue in faith no matter what happens. No matter how life unfolds, no matter what happens uh, tomorrow, next week, a month from now, a year from now, the call for us is to tackle that with faith. To be strong in our faith. To encourage others with faith, with love, with hope. But to be close to our God. As we talked about earlier, this, this idea that we are his children, to be close to our heavenly father who loves us. So will life always go good? Does, it, does God always have in store for us something that we would physically say in our world, well that's, that's great, that's good. No, sometimes life will be difficult. And out of that, God desires for us to be faithful. Now, will, will we at the end of the day say, look, I was in this position so that I could save my entire family from a famine? Well, I'm going to hazard a guess. That probably doesn't happen to any of us. But will we be able to, no matter what we go through, if we continue it in faith, be able to reach out to others that may be struggling in the same area and say, look, you can get through this. I know you can get through this. And be for them this great cloud of witnesses that allows them to see that the option of being faithful is on the table when they are struggling mightily with it. And then how do you view the struggles you had? Then you, like Joseph, can say that I, 
Maybe I went through this to help someone else. Maybe I went through this to strengthen my own faith. Maybe I needed that so that I could understand the strength and conviction of my own faith. Because I was being refined. But we have to continue in faith. Satan wants us to give it up. You don't think so? Believe me, Satan wants you to give it up. He wants you to be broken. He wants you to be separated from God. He wants you to turn on God, to no longer believe that God is telling you the truth, that you can't trust his word, that you can't rely on him. And those are all lies and fabrications. You have to continue in faith because God is your heavenly father and he loves you. And he wants you to be his. Not just now and tomorrow, but for each day that he gives us into an eternity with him. But we have to choose it. We have to choose to be faithful in our actions, in our words, in our deeds, in our thoughts. In everything. And when we fail, don't give the victory to Satan. Because sometimes we'll fail. Don't give your life to him because there was a failure. Repent of that and continue in faith. Continue to love him. God wants what is good for you. Now we just went through this whole story of Joseph where things just went off the rails, right? And ultimately we see the end. But God wants what is good for you. And when we say, well, what is good for me? If everything is going badly, like it went for Joseph, how can God possibly want what is good for me? Well, what is good for you? And I'll maybe simplify the question is, who is good? Who and who alone is good? Our God, our Heavenly Father. And so no matter what we go through, He wants what is good for us because He wants us to be connected to Him. He has continually poured out His love grace, mercy, salvation for us so that we can come to him. And in the darkest hour of your life, God is still there calling your name to be his, to be close to him. Never let that go. Never abandon that. That it will be tested, surely. Never let that go. You are his child, his creation. And he loves you dearly. No matter what happens, he loves you dearly. If I can read it, I'm going to close this morning by turning in Jeremiah. And if you'd like to follow along, and again, I would highly encourage you to follow along. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. 
and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile.